and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. As you can tell, I am sitting in a hotel room. I am in lovely Portland, Oregon right now, getting ready for Hoop Summit that starts tomorrow on Tuesday with practices for the world team and Team USA. Going to see some of the best young players in the world, such as John Montero. Uh, I think all of the high school kids are here. Anthony Black just got added to the roster. I'm excited to go see a bunch of interesting draft prospects for both the 2022 and 23 NBA drafts. But first... We're going to talk MVP today. The schedule this week, we're going to do three pods. We're going to do this one today with lovely guest Matt Moore, who we will get to in a second. Uh, We're going to do one on Wednesday, I believe, with Matt Penny, recapping everything at the Final Four. And then later this week on Friday, I've got one more coming on the NBA. We're going to be moving a little bit more toward NBA coverage now that the playoffs are about to kick off. But first, Matt Moore from over at the Action Network, one of my oldest basketball friends, colleagues, the person who is mostly responsible for my career. Matt, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. It's good to talk to you. It's been it's been a minute, so I'm glad to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I feel like every time we talk, we rarely get to talk about basketball things, and I'm so glad that we get to talk about basketball because I don't think anyone has done more comprehensive and intelligent MVP breakdowns this year than what you have you have gone through every candidate i believe outside of ja morant and maybe luca is that correct uh, and broken uh, down the case for every single one yeah i'm working on uh Giannis right now i've had to wait because the arguments are so good and they're going down to the <laughs> wire i'm on Giannis yeah. right now i've done jaw uh i am writing Embiid and Giannis this week and then finishing up with Jokic probably for monday Yeah, Uh, Matt has done incredible work at Action Network this year. Please, I beg you, if you're looking for intelligent, well-informed MVP takes, this is the person to read, in my opinion. Like, I can't emphasize that enough because you go through every single possible argument within these things, and I think it's really interesting. And before we dive into each candidate and kind of talk about just their general case for this award this year... I do want to talk about the conversation a little bit because it feels like the conversation that's happening surrounding MVP has almost become like this litmus test or like culture war almost for how you discuss basketball and what you think of basketball and how you, uh, how your brain processes basketball almost. And it's been enormously frustrating. And I feel like the conversation has only worked toward denigrating Uh, (laughs) a lot of really, really great basketball seasons as opposed to accentuating uh, the fact that legitimately, I think there are three, like no doubter in typical years, MVP cases this year in Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid. So what are your thoughts on this surrounding MVP race conversation? Because it's, it's been bizarre to track, I think. Yeah, Jokic causes a lot of these problems, um, not necessarily from his supporters. They contribute to it like all fans do, but mostly from the fact that because he confounds us and because he does not fill the typical description and archetype of what we define as greatness, people have a really hard time accepting it. Like People are just have this cognitive dissonance with him. And so I think what happens is, okay – I you you watch Nikola Jokic not you or you and or me but like 
average average person like watches Nikola Jokic like average person that that works on a TV show like they watch Nikola Jokic and they go okay that doesn't look like an MVP he's slow and plotting and like he passes a lot and he dunks sometimes but not really a lot and he's just doesn't he's not hyper explosive and he's not just like powering through for a monster dunk and all these types of things and so there's a cognitive dissonance and i can't reconcile that cognitive dissonance between what i think of as a great nba player and what this guy looks like and so that dissonance then creates tension and that tension is then expressed in well then the arguments must be bad and so it turns into oh well you just like him because of the numbers that's it. It's just because of the numbers. And it's all about these acronyms and these complicated stats that we know are flawed. And look, this <laughs> player ranked well on this list, and he's not very good. So clearly we throw the entire metric out and all these types of things. You're, you're literally just subtweeting Nick Wright right now. <laughs> I love Nick. That's the thing. I love Nick. So do Nick. I. Like, like, that's Nick, the Nick's thing, too. Like, I really Nick like is, Nick. Yeah, Nick's endemic, though, I think, of the argument in that like there's just this idea – that you have to be kind of in tune with a traditional concept of a visual aesthetic in order for what you do on a basketball court to matter, which I think is, is particularly striking given that the people I'll say this Jokic is fascinating in that he's one of the rare cases where former players and stats people finally meet. Like that's the area where that thing combines. If you pay attention, like Reggie Miller, Isaiah Thomas, Kendrick Perkins, like Richard Jefferson, like the former player pundit group, surprisingly is in Jokic's camp. They're like, look, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like, dude, (laughs) dude's a problem. Like he's a problem. And it's, it's, they don't use that stats argument. And so like I'm writing the Jokic article later this week and the challenge I've given myself is we're going to do it. We're not going to list the advanced. We're not going to use that. I'm putting it in its own section and we're going to talk about everything around it. Giannis honestly, I think is more of, um, it just gets into more of the conversation of like the fatigue factor. Like Giannis is right though too with Giannis. Like, I think that there is this weird, aesthetic argument with him too because he doesn't have this you know incredible bag of tricks that (laughs) Kevin Durant has he doesn't have like the hulking bruising footwork and post game that Joel Embiid has he's just a fucking wrecking ball in transition and his work to improve his mid-range like actually pretty dangerous as a mid-range shooter now I don't feel comfortable leaving him open uh at least like whenever he's stepping into one coming off a ball screen so like it's it's tricky there too. Like it does really feel like to an extent, there's an, an aesthetic argument with Giannis. There's this bizarre, completely aesthetic argument with Nikola. And then there's everyone else. And and I think what's interesting is, is, you know, a lot of this comes from just like Embiid fits those traditional categories and Embiid is um, he's, he's, he's got the market and there is obviously like there are just connections that interweave with when you play for an East coast city, you're going to be a little bit more tied into certain media connections. Like ESPN is very Embiid friendly and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Embiid's very like, you should be Embiid's very subtle. You should not be Jokic friendly. Jokic doesn't want to do interviews. Jokic right. hates doing media. So well, what does Nikola like- do at the end of every year? He literally goes to Serbia and they have to like, get his wife's phone number in yes. order to contact him. Like yes. they, they go like every other star in the NBA, someone from the organization is like probably talking to them on a daily basis. 
with Nicola, like they, they can't get a hold of him, <laughs> like because right. he just wants to be left alone. Yeah. So it's so I, I I completely understand that, but that that winds up I think tailoring some of the conversation, and it's I understand one of the frustrations from Sixers fans because Embiid was in the lead last year before he got hurt. He really was. Yeah. He was in the lead, and then he was in the lead this year, and then all of a sudden it's just like he's just not going to wind up with it. And the the problem really is that when you get into these arguments, like for me, Jokic and, and Giannis are extremely close and like i've mm-hmm. shifted this has been a hard westbrook thing where i've shifted four times in the last week on it right um the problem is like i've worked really hard to try and like build a framework for Embiid, and like i'm writing it and i there's a case to be made for sure like joel Embiid, if he won mvp would be a very deserving mvp like he's having an mvp worthy season yeah. it's just a matter of if i start stacking him up against Giannis and joker that I start to be like, yeah, no, I, I think this is two guys. And then there's Joel. And that's going to be frustrating given that Joel's been in, in pole position twice. And that's why, like, you've heard, like, these arguments that literally are just like, just give it to him. Just, he deserves it. Just <laughs> give it to him. And I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. That's not the way that I do this. Maybe maybe somebody will just be like, yeah, I just got to give it to him. But that, that doesn't pass mustard for me. Well, and I think that as a general – is a general basketball audience, people struggle with discerning levels of greatness, right? Mm -hmm. I think that they struggle with being able to separate, you know, what Joel Embiid is doing, which is fantastic and unbelievable. And he is leading Philadelphia in this incredible season. And I think there are intangible factors that we'll talk about here momentarily. I want to ask about uh, all of the situational contexts that these guys are in. And then eventually we'll talk about the other guys as well. Uh, I do think there's something to, or uh, Joel Embiid being able to hold this Philadelphia team together. Yep. I I just, it's it, it sucks. Like, it sucks yep. that Joel can't win MVP. Not everyone yeah. can win MVP. It's, it's literally it's one person can win MVP. That's yeah. it. Like, well, and, and I, I feel bad for him. You mentioned the contextual stuff, and that's a lot of it, is that, and, and honestly, it's, it's, it's disappointing to me that, that this is how the season has worked out in that, mm-hmm everyone is kind of making the argument for why things have been the hardest for their guy. Yeah. Uh, and like, I've even, I pushed back pretty hard on Nuggets fans about this where they're like, look, we're doing this without Jamal Murray and MPJ. And I'm like, look, it is not Joel Embiid's fault that your guys got hurt. Like right. it's not, you play who's in front of you, you play who you got. And what matters is what you've done with what you've got. You can't start going into this whole like because my problem with that is, has been if you go down these these rabbit holes of contextualizing in the absence of guys, then it becomes like, well, look, you know, if Kevin Durant had been healthy and Kyrie Irving had played the whole year, Kevin Durant's the MVP. Like that's probably true. Like yeah. KD was was KD was a badass this year. And incredible. He was incredible. And to me, he was like clearly ahead when he got hurt. Yep. And so then it becomes like, well, well, no, you got to actually be able to play. Okay. All right, fine. But you're opening up the case then that it's like, all right, if you, if you take a team that would have won 15 games and you pull them to 35, does that qualify as MVP? Because you had like four of your starters got hurt. Like once you start going down those roads, that's why a couple of years ago, I had to just kind of, this is what happened with the, with Westbrook and Harden is Westbrook's cast was poor compared to Harden's. Now in retrospect, it was pretty good because you got like a lot of guys on that team that you're like, Oh, right. those are actually pretty good NBA players. Um, 
But like Westbrook's Westbrook's team was way worse than Harden's at the time in, in terms of where we were at with the analysis. And I was just like, I'm not going to punish James because he's got a better team. That doesn't make any sense. You're supposed to have the better team. Like you should have a good team and you should make your team, your teammates look good. You should make your teammates look awesome because you raise them up so much. And so um, the contextualization of, the, of all this stuff gets really difficult. And that's before we throw in like the complexities of Ben Simmons was out and Embiid had to navigate that, but Simmons wasn't out with an injury and they wound up getting hardened. And also Embiid played a part in the whole Simmons thing. Like that just gets really messy. This has been a messy right. year for multiple reasons. Yeah. And I think that the, let's talk about the contextual factors in general a little bit more. Like, the Joel thing is really interesting because that could have gone one of two ways, right? Actually, it could have gone one of like 45 ways. But <laughs> I think that realistically, it could have gone one of two ways with Ben in the preseason as this entire thing is happening, right? Uh, ben decides not to show up and he claims uh, mental health concerns, which I'm sure are valid. And he uh, claims injury and rehab and many different things throughout the course of the season, it felt like. And... Joel could have decided, oh, you know what? Fuck this guy. Like, this guy is, ne- he's never been a competitor. Like, he's never been the guy I want to ride with. I think there's something to the fact that he stayed quiet. They played this about as well as they possibly could have. If he comes out and says, like, oh, yeah, like, I hated dealing with Ben Simmons throughout the course of the year, or says anything like remotely negative, they probably don't get james harden for ben simmons like it feels like that was a possibility because of how joel handled it and i think that being able to hold this entire team up and hold it together is a real feather in his cap like i do think that that is honestly for me it is a slightly more compelling narrative at the very least not that i think narratives should matter in this but to me if i was making judgments based off of narratives i think that it is a slightly more compelling narrative than even jamal murray and michael porter jr being out hmm. if i'm being completely honest because i think that there were so many different factors that he had to navigate from a leadership perspective within that that it was both on and off the court in a way that was so complicated and complex. And as a leader of an entire organization, he had to figure out a way to manage that. And he managed it perfectly to the point where they were, they were able to get James Harden. Nikola Jokic, he basically just managed it on the court because that's what Nikola does. And that's great. And because Denver is an incredibly competent organization, they handle things really, really well internally. They had guys that were sort of kind of able to step up to an extent, but I just, I find the idea of the way that Joel lifted the organization as a whole this year compelling in some way. I don't think that that should be a reason to vote Joel for MVP, though. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is if you're building your argument around a narrative concept, at least you're starting with like a good, a good foundation. Like I've always yeah. said this, I don't mind narrative voters. If you just say like, no, this is like how I vote is I think it's whatever is the story of the season. Then right. I don't mind that because you're at least logically consistent. Like you're, you're working from a framework. You've thought about it. You're like, this is what matters to me for most valuable. This is how I'm going to define it. And it's arbitrary and debatable, but you get to make those assertions. At least you're working from a a, a sound foundation when you start from that kind of framework. Um, I would probably retort that. Yes, it's true that after he threw his teammate under the bus in the (laughs) Eastern conference finals, that he did in fact manage, 
his that's a good point his his house very well that after yeah. he made it to where his former teammate did not want to speak to him whatsoever and like look i've maintained yeah. through this entire thing no good guys here there are no, <laughs> no good guy there's no like man that guy got screwed you know who like a good example of a player that got screwed drew holiday in the anthony davis saga drew holiday yeah. got screwed uh, jo- Joel Embiid did not get screwed in this situation. He contributed to it, but to your point, he didn't make it worse. I'd also probably like push back a little bit and just be like, did he did he not hurt things with Simmons? Yeah, I would say yeah. that. But like, Daryl was able to get James Harden in part because of Daryl's relationship prior. Yeah, Darryl's, that's a good point. And Daryl yeah. runs the game. Like Daryl's a fantastic GM. So it's like. Like all these kind of things mismatch together, but even then, like we can debate those points. And if you start from a narrative a framework, I don't mind that. I think it's interesting to like ask. This is the whole thing. This is what's fascinating is that um, I do think in parts, and we're seeing kind of a shift away. This award every year, I have to deal with people being like, "Well, MVP's narrative. MVP's narrative. That's the way it is. It's a narrative award." And my problem is, I'm like, I know why you say this. But you haven't paid attention to what's changed in the voting block over the last 10 years. Like the NBA removed local TV announcers and they really sorted through and they started to restructure the voting panel in such a way that they were like, we want the people that are one most important and influential in the sport. That's why the TV people are still going to have a a chunk of the block. And then two, like who are the people that cover this intently? And then three, like international has also got to be compacted in as well. It's why like, by the way, I, I need an international vote. Like, what are we doing here, NBA? Like, you gotta get, you gotta get you in for the Australian vote. Like, I, I can't get yeah. in. I can't get in the, the American side. Give me the international block. I'm good. Like, I'm That's ready. So smart. Come on. That's smart. You should have your. You, you should. You should have your editor uh, lobby for that. But genuinely, might work, Sam. That's a good. That's a good in, inroad. Um, so yeah, like uh, the but the largest block now is beat writers and analysts, and beat writers are on Twitter so that they intermingle with these people and and they know like you it the standards just a lot higher, and that's why look the voters didn't want to vote for Nikola Jokic last year. He's not a sexy vote. Yeah, they honestly right. got left with like everyone's hurt and out, and Embiid got hurt, and there's just really nothing we can't like get around. The fact that Joker was just better. And it's funny because I thought that I, I thought he was a no bet this year when we did our preseason betting. And I bet on so many people for MVP, Sam. Like Sorry. I have positions on hilarious players to an MVP because I was like, well, I, have, I, two. I, I have Katie and Giannis. That's nice. It. But nice. like, I, I, I'm with you though. Like I'm totally with you. Continue on your Jokic thing. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, like Giannis was my, was my biggest preseason position along with Steph damn Steph Curry freaking lost ability to shoot. Um, but I, th- I thought Jokic was a no bet. Cause I was like, look, they had to be dragged into voting for him last year. There's no way that he's going to be so good that they had, that they can't deny him two years in a row. He'd have to be better than last year. And he has been. And that, that's the problem is like, uh, the whole idea of the narrative award is getting busted by Joker in that there's not a compelling narrative with Joker. Like the compelling narrative is like, Look at where the Nuggets are despite these injuries. That's really the only one that you've got. And I think think that's a compelling narrative. I don't know that it's more compelling than like Joel Embiid's journey from the process to now and, you know, the the lovable troll that likes to talk on the court and, you know, or Giannis with like defending uh, reigning finals MVP 
right. coming back and doing it again this year. Like, I actually think one of the things that's happened is like, I don't think Giannis has gotten enough credit for the injuries that the Bucks have had. Like Ben yeah, Simmons totally. is the year and Ben Simmons is a four-time all-star, but no Brooke Lopez the entire year. And Drew and Chris were like in and out for yeah. most of the first three months of the season. And it was basically just like Giannis trucking dudes every night to keep them afloat. So um, the narrative context of all these things is, is really tough, which is why I think it's so important from where I'm at to just be like, look, we got to focus on what happened on the floor. What's the basketball component of this? Let's get to that route. And then we can talk yeah. about most valuable. Yeah. I think that there are probably six or seven clips of me this year saying, Oh, there's just going to be voter fatigue on Nikola. Like there's no way like Jokic yeah. is not winning MVP. It's just not going to happen because there's no way that voters are going to be dragged to it. Like there's no way a big enough portion of the voting block is going to be dragged to it. I am surprised that we've gotten here. Like I'm actually really happy and really pleased with the voting block of the league that they are willing to entertain this. Like it might come down to where they pick Giannis. It might come down to where they pick Joel Embiid. I am proud of the voting block on some level to where they're willing to get past this. And I think it says a lot about what you spoke about earlier in terms of the changing and shifting voting block of the league itself. Uh, More analysts, more beat writers. Uh, it, It seems like we are coming into an era of there being more intelligent basketball analysis, which is really, really important. And I think it's valuable. Now, I do want to speak very quickly before we dive into the other three about some of the other MVP candidates, because I do find it interesting that there seems to be like a bubbling case for a couple of guys like everyone wants to push Devin Booker into this conversation. And I love Devin Booker. I think he I think that these arguments are more first team all NBA than MVP comparatively to the other three guys, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think it. The, the tough part here again, if you have a, if you have a framework, I'm okay with it. We can disagree, but I'm okay. Then it's not like all right, your argument's bad. As long as you have a good argument, then this stuff is arbitrary, and every, we can define define what's valuable. If your whole starting thing is like you have to be one of the best teams in the league, and record wise, your team has to have yeah, one yeah. of the top whatever whatever you make the cutoff top two top seed in the conference, whatever best record in the league. It's got to be the best team in the league, whatever. It's got to be that guy, and he's got to have you know a good amount of production. Okay. The problem is like when you start really diving into this, and and you ask the questions. What's really gotten with me is that I can we can look at the numbers, right? And and there's a, a always a, a pushback on the stats thing. For me, it's more of the stats are not it's what it's about. The stats are an indicator of what you contributed. Yeah, and. The question is, did you contribute so much that you drove winning more than anything else? And with the Suns, I don't wind up being like, man, without Devin Booker, that team would have been, you know, whatever. Or even, that's not even the framework that I I particularly like, which is, you know, it's because of Devin Booker that they're so good. That's not where I get to. I get When I watch the Suns, I'm just like, this is the most disciplined team in the league. Yep. And everybody's really good. One through yep. eight. Like everybody knows their role and is content with it. Everybody performs at a high level. Nobody takes possessions off. Nobody is a liability on either end of the floor. 
They have like Aiton is switchable and Booker's become a good defender and Booker's a great passer and Cam Johnson is a terrific role player and Mikhail Bridges is a defensive player of the year candidate who's also got game off the bounce and can shoot. Like it is that they are disciplined, productive and efficient at everything together. And that's yep. really become, I think, one of the, the newer models for success in the NBA because we had Utah last year in a similar situation. And that's like, I definitely think that Devin Booker has got to be first team all NBA. Like, that's me. Yep. I think he's got to be first team. Like, 26 yep. points on great efficiency for the number one seed in the league. That to me is like, he's got to get there. But I can't yep. put him in that competition for MVP because the production gap in terms of impacting the game just isn't there. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. Like I will absolutely in my fake ballot have Devin Booker as first team all NBA. I I can't make an argument against him for first team all NBA, by the way, dealt with Chris Paul injury dealt with uh, a few different things that could have worked to push Phoenix back toward the Memphis Grizzlies and golden state warriors pack. And they just didn't like in any way. Uh, This was the first year where I felt like, Okay, Devin Booker is their best player. He is their most yeah. valuable player. He's the guy. Like yeah. this is before I thought it was Chris Paul. It is now him. And I think that it speaks to the leap that he's taken in terms of the way he has rounded off his game. Similarly to what you said, he's a very good defender now. Yeah. He is not like a liability in any sense of the word. He can switch. Uh, he is not getting blasted on switches by any stretch against good players. Like you can't try to hunt him anymore. Right. Uh, there's just no, there's no way that you're going to be successful doing that really. Uh, maybe against like Kevin Durant, but like Kevin Durant is going to hunt whoever he wants whoever to. He wants. And yeah. like, you're just fucked either way. Like Devin Booker has become a real passer. There were times where I thought that Devin's passing and his assists in some of the early Suns days when Phoenix fans would come and say, no, he's really improved as a passer. I felt like sometimes it came on his terms a little bit more where he Mm -hmm. was dominating the ball so much and he was making the reads and he was making those early career stage improvements that you hope to see from a young player, but I didn't know how impactful they were on winning within a team construct. He's now just like an exceptional passer within a team construct, which is huge for them. I am really, really impressed like across the board with Devin Booker. And like you said, I just can't get there. Like I can't yeah. get there with the production gap and that's okay. Uh, Mets fans have started to come in with Luka Doncic. And I think that Luka has had an exceptional last 50 games of the season. Even uh, he has had a truly exceptional last month and a half where I think he, I'll raise my hand. I think he's been the best player in the league for the last like month and a half. If we're being completely honest with it. But you know what? That first couple of months where he was working his way back into shape, where there was clearly some adjustment with working with a new coach and Jason Kidd, it feels like that should push him down just a level to where he's in the conversation for, again, first team All-NBA, not necessarily MVP. Uh, I got bullied into to picking him for first team all NBA by Mavs fans and credit to them for just hammering me with data and arguments and all these things. And, and like, I caved, I was like, all right, you know what? You got a point. You're right. Look, against first yeah. team all NBA. And if he had, you're right. If he had played the way that he has over the last 50 games, the entire season, he'd be there. 
it they there's a popular thing with mass fans to be like, well, look at the production in, in, in November. And I'm like, okay, let's see the shooting splits. And like, this is the yeah. whole thing. It's just like, Lucas hasn't been an, an insanely efficient shooter the entire season. That just hasn't been who he is. He's not going to be that because he's basically like, he's James Harden in Houston. That's what they've done. And that's, that is a, look, I argued for Harden. I voted Harden in 2017. And if Luca does what he's done over this last, 40 games ish when they really started to evolve towards this heliocentrism. If he does that next year, the whole way I'm going to be like, it's Luka Doncic. There's no question. No yeah. question. Um, I would say he's been the second best player over the last, what, however month along. I, I great that he beat Giannis yesterday, but Giannis has done what Giannis has done over the last like month in the big game situations that he has. That to me matters. Yeah. Like, that's been ridiculous. Um, yeah. He's put on like, I'm, I, I said this this morning on Twitter. I tried and fight, uh, recency bias very hard and Giannis's recent games have made that very difficult because of, of what he's done. But with Luca, he's the entire engine. He's the entire offense. Um, yep. He generates, you know, all of this offense all on his own. He has been a better defender this year. He made real efforts this year on the defensive end. We'll see if that holds up next season. He came into the season as the MVP favorite. There was an expectation for him. Um, I did a preseason straw poll and he was expected to be amongst the top three guys at the end of the season. Like there's a lot of voters that thought that he was going to be there. He has, he has a real, like again, we talk about people wanting to vote for him. Everyone's ready to anoint Luca. Like everyone's yes. there. Everyone's ready for it. Completely. He's going to get there. And he, I think he will. I think next year he's probably like, as soon as the market opens, I'll be betting Luca Doncic for MVP. Like, that's I will be betting that number because I think it's probably going to be plus two fifty or better, and there's value on that even that far out. Um, but I'm sorry, you you you, you got to be in shape to be an NBA player. I don't have to. That's why I do this. Like you you got to you got to be in shape when you come in, man. And uh, I, I think if he if he comes in next year with the intent to win and he commits himself to that, because Honestly, Nikola Jokic was at the same point in his career where Luka's at age-wise, where he didn't take his body seriously. And then he started taking his body seriously, and he won an MVP because he was doing what he was capable of every single night. Um, right. That's the only thing left for Luka, and I think he'll get there, but not this year. Yeah, and like that's the thing with players in general, right? Like, And this even goes down to the level that I often watch, which is college basketball, right? Like, Everyone right now is asking me, why is Caleb Love – uh, who just dropped 28 on Duke, not a real NBA draft prospect or not like a uh, potential first round pick. I've been higher on Caleb Love from a talent perspective than I think a lot of people have, but it's the game in game out consistency right. that he doesn't bring. It's the possession by possession decision-making even that he doesn't bring. Cause like if you go back and you watch that Duke tape, there were three times in that game where he literally just threw the ball to Duke. Like yeah. he got himself in trouble. He jumped up and then just like went, Oh sh- shit, where do I go? And then just like threw it and it went right into Duke's hands for a pick six. And it was an easy two points on the other side. So it's the possession by possession. It's the game by game stuff that separates a like NBA player from a non NBA player that separates it. The further you up that consistency, uh, it separates the, rotation player from the starter level and then i think it even gets up to the highest levels of of mvp which is what we're talking about right now i think that game by game consistency is the separator from super star super duper star to legitimate mvp candidate at the end of the day 
And when Luca, you know, when really for the first month of the season, if you looked at the Mavs record, because that's a lot of it, right? Is, is the argument comes, well, wait, hang on. If, if Luca's got the numbers um, and they've got a better record, why is he not in this conversation? And, and my response right. is because for the first two months of the season, the Mavs were winning with defense. Like Luca had a negative net rating in those games and over that span of time. And it's not that Luca was a drag on them. It just wasn't good enough. They were winning because of, of a lot of reasons early on, but they were not winning because Luca was dominating. They were just, they were finding ways to win. Now he's been more impactful to winning than uh, most players, all but maybe the top three. And even questionably some of those guys over the last 30 games of the season, but that's not the entire season. And I, for me, a lot of it is, I care about those games in November. Like I care that you came into the season. We're like, we got to get like, we got to stay afloat and win games early on. And the ability to do that from day one to me really matters when we get into this conversation, because too often it just becomes who's been really good as of late. If the season was two more months and and Luca kept doing what he did, that's probably enough for him to win, but it's not. And so he's in the situation he's in. The last two guys I want to mention here, and I'm sorry to Jason Tatum. I, think he's probably seventh for me in this conversation. Ooh. Ooh. I'm uh, Maybe I'd have him sixth. I might have him ahead of the next guy. Uh, John Morant has missed 20 games. And I just don't know that we can get to the point where we have John Morant in this conversation having missed 20 games. So I don't understand this. Um, I made the case for Ja, and I don't think he should win. And I don't think he should be top three. And uh, I probably have, have dropped him now past the top five at this point. What I think is really weird is that there's this whole thing about Jaws missed games. And Lucas played, after this weekend, five more games. Like, that's it. Yeah. Five more games. And Jaws probably not coming back this week. There's no real reason for him to. They've locked the two seed. But Lucas also probably so not. Going to be 10. But I'm assuming Lucas is going to play the whole week. Because... I don't think he is, because I think they're probably going to lock four. Maybe. So okay. if Maybe. he locks four, it becomes like, Seven, which is a, a gap for sure. It's almost 10%. What? Right, season? 210, 250 minutes, something in that it's, ballpark, yeah, right? like it, it matters. It's just been very weird to me that there's this, like, John Morant has missed all this time. Well, and and it, I think like, that even more than that, though, too, it's that the Grizzlies have been incredibly successful without yeah. John Morant. And, and this, that's this, that's the weird part of this conversation that yeah. I don't actually know what to do with in my brain. Yeah, yeah. this fundamentally, to me, gets into like how you look at the NBA regular season and um, because this is a big, this is a big, like I said, this is a big deal with me with the Jokic thing. Mm I am making the argument for Jokic, not based off of he missed these guys. Look at how hard it was. And instead just based off of no, like regardless of, of who he had and who he didn't Jokic whipped ass every single night Um, with Morant. I, I've always felt this way. I think it's just very strange, it, especially in the modern age. I'm okay with like very slight dividers of, um, you know, this guy. I, I think you got to play a minimum number of games, and Jaw's not going to get there, and that matters, right? Because like right. you need to be at least to the Walton threshold, of 57. Um, you, I do think it's weird though to talk about what happens when a guy doesn't play, because ultimately he's not responsible. For that, like, I care very much about what happens when a guy is on the court. He's got to be on the court enough to be in the conversation. It's okay to have those thresholds, but I I don't like this idea of 
well, they were really good without him, so they didn't need him. So they would have won if he had not played the entire season is like the extrapolation of that. And where I get to is I'm like, to look, extent, yeah. Yeah, and to me, I'm just like, that's not true. Like, we could just look at the season and be like, no, if they don't have John Morant, they're not the two seed. That's If you've watched Grizzlies games, that's pretty evident. And you're like, but they're so good without him. There's a letdown effect that messes with all of this. And I think one of the things is that Taylor Jenkins in Memphis has done a phenomenal job of taking advantage of those letdown spots of like, nobody believes in you. Nobody thinks you can win. You're without Jaw. You're without Jaron. Nobody right. thinks you can win. Like, fuck those guys. Let's go get them, right? Motivation in the NBA is like the and number – That's the, By the way, go ahead. I think this goes even beyond Taylor Jenkins. I think it goes up to Zach Kleiman, the Memphis yep. Grizzlies front office. They specifically draft those guys. Yeah. Like the, this is what they do. They look for guys who are motivated and competitive and want to win games like this. They identify them and they select them. And then it goes within their entire cultural ethos as an organization that this is how they want to play. So I think that that, as much as anything, is why you see less of a drop-off effect right. than and, you would with Memphis with or without Ja. Yeah, and so for me, like if you want to say he hasn't played enough games, that's a good argument. But when we get into, like, well, they've won all these games without him, so clearly they don't need him, that to me ignores a lot of context of how the NBA regular season works. And I've, yeah. I've said this for years, and I, it continues to be true to me. A bigger factor than injury, a bigger factor in injury over the course of an 82 regular game season, not over the course of it, but night by night on any given night is motivation. Do you have more? Are you willing to try harder than this other team? That's just like, man, it's three and four. I just want to go home. I just want to go home or Phoenix who, you know, faces Memphis without everybody. And Phoenix is like, you know, we're playing because we're trying to get the record, but we don't, we've got the one seed. We're not going to get hurt. We're just going to be going through this, you know? And, right. and so that I think gets complicated. Um, I did make, when I made the case for job, my basic argument was I think jaw has been the most spectacular player in the NBA this season because all of jaw's games and moments are like, they popped off the screen for us month after month after month, like from October through November, through December, through January, through February and into early March. And then he got hurt. And then the whole thing fell apart because they kept winning games without him. Um, yeah. But like, the, the monster block that he had to save the season, the 42 versus the Lakers, like these performances that these incredible layups that he would have night after night, like jaw to me, even more than Giannis and even more than Jokic's passing and even more than Lucas step backs. Like jaw has done things that were just jaw droppingly amazing. Well, he, he's the aesthetic argument that yep. we mentioned Jokic and Giannis to an extent, not necessarily having as much as other people, Ja is not pure aesthetics because he's an exceptional basketball player, but that's more of what his case looks like. It's the Derrick Rose case from, what was that, 2012? Uh, it's that kind of player and that kind of emergence this year <clears throat> in terms of why they've been successful. The last guy I want to mention is Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant is not going to hit your Walton threshold of 57 games. Uh, he's probably going to hit 55 which I saw that Bill Simmons said on his podcast, the only other player to make uh, first team all NBA at 55 games is Bernard King in 1985. Uh, there is some precedent there for a great player missing a lot of time. I just can't get there. Uh, the team is what ninth as we speak in the Eastern conference. And I don't know, man, like I, it, this, it, there's, there's way more context behind why they've been bad, but 
I don't feel great about voting for a guy that uh, led his team to ninth in the Eastern Conference and missed 27 games. Uh, for me, it's just the games missed. It, it really is. If he if he played 10 more, you know, I, I think it really gets into an interesting argument. 15 more. If he gets above the threshold, I think it becomes a real interesting argument because I think he, I think he's been any given night in the NBA. You can watch Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic and be like, that's the best player in the NBA. And I will even say that, like, it, it's a lot easier for me to accept Giannis and KD than Jokic, is how I'll put that, right? Like, as much as, yeah, like, it, I, I, I watch Jokic nightly, and yet even I'm like, I watch KD, and I'm just like, whew, whew, yeah. whew. If, if I do win one game in the NBA tomorrow, right? I think my pick is KD still. Uh, well, I think it might be Giannis, I, yeah. but it's one of those two. Like, well, it's, it's one of those two, I think. Here's what I think is crazy is Jokic shapes the game more than I think any other player in the league. Because if you double him, he kills you. If you single cover him, he kills you. If you zone him, he kills you. If you don't have good backline defense, you're dead. If you don't have good frontline defense, you're dead. Like there's, he manipulates you and figures out ways. And he, he's always three steps ahead of what your anticipated rotations are. The things that all NBA teams do to try and make things difficult for great players. He is, he's three moves ahead of you and anticipating and countering it with KD. It's like, no, no, no. You could do whatever you want. It just doesn't matter. You could put a big guy on him, put PJ Tucker on him, put put Kawhi Leonard on him, put whoever you want. Put who put Bam out of bio. Who Marcus Smart. Whoever you want, they're catching 40. Because KD's yeah. unstoppable. And with Giannis, I think it's like a mix of the two, right? Where like he's a really gifted passer, and that's like an underrated part of his game. And he's so amazing on defense. He's the best defender of the three. And he's able to do things like, you know, he's going to block what you thought was an unblockable layup. He's going to grab the ball. He's going to go full court. He's going to Euro step through two guys, and he's going to finish off balance for the M1. Like, yep. the, the, those combinations are, are really difficult to parse. With KD... It sucks because I do think it would have been cool for him to get a second MVP. It would be, it's going to be a shame probably that like it reduces the chances, I think dramatically. And for him to do it, to win MVP after suffering an Achilles tear, that's fucking crazy. I can't fathom that. I can't, there, what he's doing right now, I can't, I can't wrap my brain around it. I I really can't. The fact that this guy suffered a torn Achilles in a playoff game while coming back to like play a game that frankly, like probably shouldn't have been playing in because he was hurt in the first place and comes back, misses the season and like doesn't miss a beat. Like this is, he is who he is. That's incredible to me. Yeah. And so um, from that perspective, it'd be really incredible to see him do it. But you know, ultimately like he just, he wasn't healthy and you know, even if Kyrie had played and they've been able to, to win enough games, um, I think that's part of it. If we get into the narrative discussions, if we're going to say that Embiid deserves credit for holding the team together yeah, through the Simmons saga, then I think that KD's enabling of uh, Captain Flat Earth is probably got to be at least partially uh, contributing to the dysfunction that that team suffered and Harden, like, willing to perfectly willing to hold Harden accountable for his own actions. But like 
Katie was, he was away from the team hurt. I think it was, was part of it. So that's a tough thing to put on his shoulders, but you know, look, ultimately Kyrie's his guy and he, he that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's who he's backed. And yeah, there are consequences to that like this season. Okay. So we haven't talked about the one main candidate here. I want to just get into ordering MVP because I feel like we're going to talk about him kind of at the end here. Uh, if you had to vote right now, and as you said at the top, I want to give you this very clear out here. This thing is fluid. It really is going to come down to the end of the week. These guys yeah. are all that close. Right now, I would have Luca five. I would have Devin Booker four. I would have Joel Embiid three. And then I will save it for the end here in terms of one and two. Who would you have five, four, and three? Five, I'd have John Morant. No, that take that back. That's wrong. Five, I would have Devin Booker. Okay. Four. Oof. It's pretty gross, isn't it? Four, I'd have Jason Tatum. Okay, I, let, let's hear the conversation for Tatum real quick. Yeah. I don't want to. Uh, so here's the starting. Here's the starting point. Okay, uh, I care most about, like, from my framework. Did your team kick the most ass on court? That's like the most succinct way I can do it. It's actually like from yeah. a more delicate definition. It's were you most impactful towards winning? That's how I decided yeah. to define most valuable. Uh, Jason Tatum has the best net rating in the NBA amongst qualified leaders. They literally have won by 11 points per 100 possessions with Tatum on the floor this season. They have absolutely kicked the shit out of everyone in the minutes that Tatum has played. Yes, the Celtics are very good. Yes, the Celtics have the best defense. Guess what? Tatum contributes to that. Jason Tatum is an exceptionally underrated defender. Like, Tatum is a great defender. Like, Tatum's a better defender than Devin Booker. He's a better defender than Luka Doncic. He's a better defender than Nikola Jokic. Uh, He is not a better defender than Giannis Antetokounmpo. I would put him, honestly, a little bit on the level of Joel Embiid, if we're being perfectly honest, given certain limitations for both. Uh, and B can't play at the level as well. Tatum obviously yeah, yeah. doesn't have the size to block shots and rim protect the same way. So like really honestly, I think that there are um, Embiid's impact defensively is going to be greater as a rim protector, but in terms of skill at their positions, I think they're, they honestly are pretty equivalent. That's how much I think of Jason Tatum's defense. Uh, the efficiency is through the absolute roof. He's been on absolute yeah. tear. Um it's much like with Luca, where you get into the arguments of um, the early season inefficiency versus the later season efficiency. Part of it with me also, I will totally admit this, is that I will give – like we're, we're parsing the very thinnest of threads here. So right. if, if I'm allowed that kind of a caveat, I'll say Jason Tatum suffered COVID last year and has openly admitted that he it took him months for him to get back from a breathing problem post-COVID. Um, Luka Doncic likes to go party and drink like that. That difference between the two does matter to me about their early season performances. <laughs> um, yeah. And so for me, like Tatum and especially look, that team could have gone sideways. Like the Celtics could have spiraled off of the map and been yep. done. Tatum could have very easily been leaking to people like, 
yeah, it might be time for there to be a change in, in Boston in terms of the Jalen Brown relationship or this team's got to do something. Or if they don't make a change soon, Jason Tatum is going to want nothing. Tatum just kept his head down, kept working, and brought them to this point. And for them to be the best team in the NBA over the last two months, um, for them to be so good on both ends of the floor and for him to be so integral – on both sides, to me, that puts him slightly above Booker and it puts him above Luka. Um, I would have Jason Tatum fourth on my MVP ballot today. Not unreasonable. Uh, as we were kind of talking through the jaw stuff at the top, I realized I'd probably have Jason Tatum sixth uh, on mine. So like, I think that's totally valid argument. Uh, your defensive case on Jason actually is pretty interesting as it refers to Luka Doncic. It makes me like actually want to rethink a little bit Luka versus Jason. And I probably will do that offline a little bit more as I kind of go into it. But I think the more important part here is that we get into three, one, two here. Uh, I would assume you have Joel and B three. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got to be three. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever worked this hard to find an argument for a guy. Uh, Cause usually I'm pretty much just like, well, no, I don't, I don't think he's there, but in part, just because the conversation gets to be so toxic, I was like, I want to do, I don't want that to influence my, my thing here. I want to, I want to really dig to try and find what the argument is the most sound argument for him. Uh, and, and this is currently still possible for him to reclaim with the Sixers tied in the standings of the bucks after the bucks lost to the Mavericks on Sunday is of the three major candidates. Joel Embiid has leads the league in scoring is a defensive monster, uh, is hugely impactful just in terms of you can't do anything with him has become a much better passer, especially at double teams. That was always my knock on him. He's been great at that. Yep. Um, He works really well with Harden. He's still, this season, a good mid-range shooter. Last year, he was a great mid-range shooter. Falling off a little bit there. But mostly, it becomes a ton of rebounds, not like league historic, just a lot of rebounds. Lazy league and scoring for the team with the best record amongst the league and three candidates. That's like the best summation of the argument is... Lead the league in scoring for the team with the best record of the three candidates. That to me is just not enough. Um, the Sixers have a lot of reasons for their success. None bigger than Joel. The team's still really good. This team still made the conference finals last year. This team still has uh, like, the conference semifinals. Lost conference the, semifinals. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, conference semifinals. Um, they still like Tobias was bad the first part of the year which is like, that's where Embiid really made his bread, right? Like the beginning of the year, like he carried them outside of the COVID bout. Like he carried them, you know, Um, games played. He's good there. I don't have any argument. Like he's managed to stay on the floor, especially I'll say this for him to have played as much as he has this season coming off of a torn meniscus last playoffs and not getting surgery so that he could play through it and stay on the floor for his team. A lot of credit to him for fighting through that. Um, Defensively, he's played more at the level this season, which I think is really good for their defense. It's helped, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, it's another tool to bring out of the bag. Yeah, it's another tool to bring out of the bag. Another club, still, like, still most comfortable in drop, which means he's susceptible to floaters and getting torn up in certain. Like, that's always going to be a, a stick in my craw when you're not a guy that can that can switch one five uh, defensively. Not that like Joker can do that because he can't. Um, Hence why you are the uh, leading proponent of the uh, Rudy Gobert 
hatred fan club. <laughs> Less that and more, uh, more, more just good. Got Guys got to get a hook shot. Just guys, you got to get a hook shot. Um, oh. With Joel, I think all of these things are, are really good arguments. It's just not enough. Like yeah. the argument for Joel is really good. Like I said earlier, he's deserving, you know, historically, if Joel gets voted MVP, I'm not going to be like, I can't believe that they, we gave MVP to that guy. And, right? and I do think it will age well for yes. what it's worth. Like, I, you know, I, I think it's probably a real, something that I think is probably happening in voters minds is, and I'm not worried about this because I think that Nikola Jokic is probably going to go down as the top 20 player of all time. I think that something that's happening in voters' minds right now is if we give Jokic a second MVP, it is going to put him into like this class of player that is different, right? Yeah. There are very, very few players. Will this age like Steve Nash winning back MVPs do this? Personally, I'm not worried. I think Jokic is going to go down as one of the best players to ever play basketball in the NBA. I think he is staggeringly good. I think they're going to win a title at some point. So I am not wildly worried about how it's going to age. I think that a Joel Embiid MVP winning one once will age well. Like it would age really, really well. He there was a point here for this year, last year, probably next year, and in the preceding two years where when he was on the court, he was one of the most dominant forces in the NBA. And I think it would be fine to reward that uh, on some level. Uh, again, I'm like just kind of saving Giannis for the end, uh, but nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Joel is a, I think he, he's a phenomenal candidate. You're right that it'll age well because people will look back at this era and talk about Embiid. Um, I think would, would help if he had like a dominant playoff run think that would help yeah like i think that would do like this has been one of the very weird things to me is there's this whole idea of like playoff success and i'm like my man like joker's made a conference finals yeah like joker's joker's one series he's he's he beat Kawhi leonard and paul george and was the best player in that series yeah joel got beat by by trey young yeah like that we need to, to make sure that we keep our our history straight here. Now, this, no, uh, this I, I don't think there's there, there's literally no argument people can make about Bleyoke's playoff success. In my opinion, yeah. like he, he has been staggeringly good in the playoffs. Yeah. Now, like no, up until up matter. until the last couple of years, like mm-hmm. when he took this leap into MVP, like his numbers would consistently rise in the playoffs Mm -hmm. uh it's impossible basically for his numbers to rise any farther now so that doesn't really happen anymore but they stay steady now in the way that you would hope most guys like there is a very small the average in terms of efficiencies and in terms of points the average is what pelton has it at like a 10 to 15 percent decrease and that just doesn't happen with nicola yeah and so now look this is all with the caveat you and i both know that you know, postseason doesn't factor in. It, it obviously right. does. There, there is with some voters. I think there is a concern of like, I don't want this vote to look bad later. Um, I think there. I think that's like, a real thing. Yeah. I, I and one. I think that's the Westbrook corollary. You know, yeah. and I, I don't think that Westbrook was a bad MVP. I really don't. I still think I look back at that and I go, look, look in the. Mo- All you can do is make the decision in the moment. You can't. Right. You can't 
you can't start going down the road of like, what's the future going to hold? Cause you don't know, like you yep. don't know what that's going to hold. And so, and I think most voters know that. And that's ultimately why Jokic is taking the lead and will probably win again. Like that, the reason not to vote Joker is that is like, is he going to be able to yep. win a title? Like is who's more likely to win a title Joel Embiid with James Harden or Nikola Jokic with whatever MPJ is going to be Jamal Murray coming off of an ACL, Aaron Gordon, et cetera. You know, right. like who's got a better path to a title. And like the answer is like clearly Joel. Um, but you just, we don't know how, what, what the turns are going to be. And all you can do is based off of where we're at right now. And ultimately with Embiid Joker is a better rebounder this season. He's not as good of a scorer, but he is a more efficient one. The efficiency gap is monstrous just in terms of Joker's so much more efficient. Um, Joker creates more for his teammates, all these types of things. Giannis, same kind of deal. Joel is uh, the way I've come up with these, like what's the four word definition of their case? Like John Morant mm-hmm. is most spectacular. Giannis Anacompo is uh, most dominant. Yeah. Joel Embiid is most unstoppable. Like you can't do anything with him. There's nothing you can do. Like, yeah. Do, do whatever you want. He's going to get really, he, he's either scoring or he's getting your free throws. There's, there is nothing you can do. Nothing. Yeah. You can double team him and that's going to be a successful strategy versus the other options. He's become a better passer, a good enough passer to punish you for it. And he still draws a lot of fouls out of double teams. There's nothing you could really do versus Joel Embiid. And um, that's a good candidate. It's just, he's just not quite at the level of the other. Okay. Who would you have one and two? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tuesday morning, I had Joker. Wednesday morning, I had Giannis. Thursday morning, I had Joker. Friday morning, I had Giannis. Um, Saturday morning, I had Giannis. Sunday night, I have Joker. As we record this on Monday, I'm a Joker just just by so few amounts. Um, I do think we haven't we haven't talked the case for Giannis yet, and I want to do that. So I'll be on. I have Giannis at number one. So I want to hear your case for Giannis because I think it is interesting. It's most dominant. Uh, I don't remember a player since Shaq in Orlando where it's just like the, the mid range stuff really does matter. I pulled a shot chart and I've got to give up on Twitter and I'm putting it in my article that just shows that the evolution of his shot chart over the last four years. And it really does like, you go, you just go, Holy shit, because it goes from all these blues in terms of negative true shooting percentage versus league average to red. And even on the, the perimeter, it's not that he's this crack shooter, it's that he's good enough yeah. to where it's just and it, it, you if you watch the, the if you go through and you watch all the possessions in a game what you'll see is even if he faces these big front lines that are able to slow him down he'll stop and be like all right I'm going to go to the one legged step back jumper and he misses one and they're like okay this is going to work and then he hits one and like okay Okay, well, he's going to go for that, so I'm going to try and just contest a little bit more this time. Oh, nope, he got you. You you, you fell for it. Now he's around you, and he's dunking. Okay, well, let's back up, back up, back up. Let's let's protect that rim again. And he does it again. He misses, and you're like, okay, we got him. 
and then he hits one and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to step up a little bit. The discipline it takes to defend Giannis, you have to be disciplined. You have to be huge. You have to have great hands. The Toronto Raptors, the only team that has a combination to do it effectively. Like and everybody as well, else. by the way, it's not, it's not just like great feet as well. Yeah. Like it's impossible. He's got moves upon moves. Now his bag really has expanded. The, the pull-up threes are enough. It's just like, again, it's not that he's a good shooter. It's that it's enough for it yeah. just to be enough to on top of everything else for it to work. Um, teams are terrified of him defensively. Yes. Like ball handlers get it. And they're just like, fuck this. I'm out. No, yep. I'm not going against this. Like there's just no point in it because of what he brings to the table. Um, the passing's really underrated. The fact that he's able to work in pick and roll. He's such a good cutter on top of everything else. He's like, you talk about leader and a competitiveness. What guy goes like this every single game and shows up for so many games. Joel played in a lot of big games late in the season to his credit early on in the season. Joel is getting a lot of rest nights on national TV performances, not trying to tear him down, but I'm simply going to state that by like conversely, Giannis is almost always there. And regardless of the matchup or how tough it is. And honestly, this is a big part of it. Sam is the fact that, Every team's like, well, we got to foul him and just make him earn it at the line. And he's had those free throw struggles, and he's just like, I don't care. And he'll airball, he'll airball a mid-range jumper, and then he'll take another one and hit it. Like, he has no fear at all of anything, and he still wants to rip your throat out every minute of every game. And that competitive spirit combined with the defense, combined with the scoring, combined with the efficiency, combined with the rebounding, all of that – he is an unparalleled all-around player in NBA history. And here's the other thing. You mentioned the on-ball defense, which is accurate. Like, you can't get by him on the ball. If it's a switch, it's done. The guard is giving the ball up. This year, he's had to play more of a primary rim protector role. He's had to play the same secondary rim protection role because a lot of the time they play Bobby Portis at center, right? They play these guys uh, like Serge Ibaka late in the season that – aren't quite as mobile as what Serge used to be. Or Bobby Portis, not a particularly strong rim protector. And Giannis has taken on even greater responsibility for Milwaukee this year as the primary guy who has been forced to be at the rim all the time, constantly, every possession, contesting shots. He hasn't fouled. He hasn't bitched about it. He hasn't complained. There's been nothing there. He has had to account for Brooke Lopez's loss throughout the entire season And he's been spectacular at it. He is the reason, because as you've said, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, been in and out of the lineup. A lot of guys with Milwaukee been in and out of the lineup throughout the course of the season. A lot of their best defenders have not always been available. He's been the guy that's held their defense up to about, I don't know what they rank as today. What what are they? Probably like 10th to 12th defensively in the NBA right now, which, look, if you want to hold that against him in terms of defensive player of the year, I I don't know that I would agree, but I'll listen to the argument about wanting to have a defender that's on one of the best teams in the NBA, like voting for Marcus Smart because the Celtics have been by far the most dominant defense in the NBA, and he's been the captain of the best defense. Giannis Antetokounmpo has been undeniably one of the three best defenders in the NBA. Like I, I cannot come up with a framework that does not include him within that regard. I agree. So this is where it gets, this is where it does get tricky. Okay. So dunksandthrees.com's adjusted defensive rating based off of strength of schedule has them 15th in defense. 
Um, yep. With Giannis on the floor, it's 107.7, and that's unadjusted on NBA.com. Um, 111.5 with him off the floor. So it's 3.8 points better. Uh, 107.7 is still a really good mark. It's not elite. It's still like a really good mark. It's you could just like Giannis's defense factors into the MVP conversation. Like to me, like a lot of the defensive metrics do kind of knock at his case for um, DPOI. Uh, his yeah. like uh, everyone kind of wonders about the the defensive metrics. Like that's very popular to be like, well, de- these metrics are bad at evaluating defense. I'm like, that's true, which is why like you got to use like ten of them and the eye test, and you got to talk to people. Like if you do all that, then you have a pretty good, you can get a good composite, a starting point for understanding defense. But like, there's no question that just, if you, by any measure, if you just look at, if you watch these games and you watch when a guy is challenged by Giannis other than Luca, cause he's insane. Um, the, the opponent, if Luca is on their ball handler, the ball handler is just so often like, I'm not going to challenge this guy. Like I'm just. There is this is not a matchup I can win. And when you have NBA players being like, I can't win this matchup, that's a huge defensive value. Yes. Um, so for me, 24 second shot clock, like that, that time goes. You bring it down, you're at 20, you know, and then mm-hmm. you get the first action, and Giannis is typically the first action. He breaks it and denies it. You're down to 12 essentially on the shot clock. You're basically getting a hideous shot because Giannis exists and teams are just not willing to try him. And there are all these moments throughout the season where, because what you're really talking about is like I, you try and take the 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 holistic view of all these possessions, which is why like I sit down and I try and watch all of them. I try and watch all the offensive possessions and all the defensive possessions. Like I just try and like sit there for hours and hours and hours with it running, um, and and catch as much as I can by osmosis. What's interesting, I think, is Joker has all these moments where he will take over the game and pull his team out of the depths of what would be an atrocious loss and turn it into a win because he is so singularly dominant. He's done it versus the Clippers and he's done it in all these kinds of spots. But if you look at the record versus teams over 500, the Nuggets are terrible because they don't have the guys. Like that's where this whole argument about the injuries come in is like, they don't have the horses to run with these dudes. One of Giannis's biggest arguments, in my opinion, honestly has come in the last two weeks where you have this stretch in the Nets game they are down nine. It's the end of his third quarter stint into the fourth quarter before he takes his mid fourth quarter break. And Giannis scores 15 straight fucking points. And Giannis is just like, Nope, we're back in this. Like he goes yeah. end to end to end to end to end to end. And the, and the Nets meanwhile are just like, what is happening? Like, yeah. what do we do? Um, he has the same thing versus the, the Sixers where it's like, they've got it. They've got it. They've got, nope. Giannis just decided this thing was over. And that ability to control, not just games, but high pressure, high leverage games versus the best teams in the NBA is to me, like, that's why I was Giannis until Sunday morning. Like this is, this is what the crux comes down to is, if you ask me possession by possession over the course of the season, who's been more impactful? I think it's been Joker. If you ask me who's been more impactful in the moments his team needed him to be most impactful, it's probably Giannis. And trying to parse those two is why my head's going to explode. Yep. So all of what you said and all of what I said in terms of holding up this defense by like the like Atlas essentially – uh, 
is why I do have Giannis at number one. And like, frankly, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I am someone that thought about the way that, not that it was going to age, but more about the way, if I had to pick one player to win a game right now, would I pick Giannis or Jokic? If I had to pick one player to win a game, literally tomorrow, I'd pick Giannis. I would pick Giannis. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I do think that that stuff matters. Like, I think that it matters to pick the best player, uh, period, point blank. And like, we just went through all of the arguments. And I think that all of the arguments for both people are incredibly compelling. And if you need to get down to the level where you're parsing X, Y, and Z things, right? And you're parsing, you know, 45 different angles because these two guys are so close. I think it's fine just to have the tiebreaker being like, I just think this dude's better. Like, I think this dude is a better two-way yeah. player than than Nikola Jokic is. At the end of the day, I do. I'm sorry. I that, love Nikola Jokic. I think he's great. I would have him number two. I think, I think that's sound, except my only, argument against, Durant. my only argument against you there is this. Um, the award is not a conceptual one, right? It's not. No. It's based off of, like, this is important, uh, at least from the way that I approach it. Because I like I'll have to say this is like whenever anyone says of the argument about LeBron, which is like how the fuck does LeBron not have more MVPs? Uh, my thing is I'm like it's not about like who's the better player on any given night or in a one right. game. It's what have you done? It's this right. this is this is a resume. It's a what did you do this season? This is we have the evidence, right? It's not right. trying to parse skill set in conceptual environments. It's about you got 82 games. How many of them did you play? Did you play enough? Okay. Did your team it's win almost enough? an exam? Like it's a score yeah. on an exam. Exactly. And you have like these qualifiers, right? Of the way I do it at least is did you play enough games? Yes. Did your team win enough games? Were you over 500? Yes. Did you win the minutes where you were on the floor? Yes. By how much was it enough for it to be significant? Cause like John Morant and Luka Doncic are both like plus 3.4, 3.8. It's not good enough. Like, Joker's at eight at plus eight. Yep. He jumped over Giannis over the weekend. Um, all these things kind of factor in. And so what you kind of come down to at the end of the day, honestly, a lot of this, th- this would be my biggest pushback on you. Giannis in the early season was without Chris and was without Drew and was without Brooke. And that was a hard environment. It really was. And they still managed to be like around 500 and hang. And the Nuggets were under 500 for a little bit. And that that deserves some consideration too. But ultimately, like Giannis's early performance wasn't nearly as awe-inspiring as his middle and late season, much the way with Luca and um, Tatum. And so, what you offensively, have here, I would agree with you. Yeah, defensively, I'm a little bit less sold on that. But so let me let me, let me go ahead and yeah. I'll break this down. I understand for you. your point, though, nonetheless. I, I do. Want, I want to make the, I want to make the Joker defensive argument real quick. Yeah. Okay. Um. The metrics work against him, which is really obnoxious. He's first a defensive box plus minus. And so everyone goes, well, that's stupid. You can't use that. And there's almost like a, a reverse effect here, again, with the cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Like, which is, it, I totally agree with you. It is actually very unfair that this like, is Joker can't be the best defensive player in the league. And then it becomes, he's not even a good defensive player. And I'm like, I'm here to tell you, as somebody that laughed at Adam Mar as my co host on Locked On Nuggets, Three years ago, he said, I think Nikola Jokic can be as good of a defender in pick-and-roll coverage specifically as Marc Gasol. Yeah, I remember is, when Adam said that, actually, weirdly. 
is Joker as good as Marcus All was? No, Marcus All was a fucking defensive player of the year. He's one of the best defensive players of the last like 15 years. Yeah. But defensively and pick and roll with the scheme that they found for him, which they've honestly used less of this year, he got to be really good. This year he's even better. He's got great hands. He's got great positioning. He has multiple game saving, game winning blocks. He makes the effort that you want as yeah. a rim protector. This is a lot of it is okay. What's a, what's a big's job in the NBA these days, play drop right. coverage, get your hands up. Don't foul contest the shot, make it hard on them. And that's, and that's it. Depending on the coverage, like are there, you know what though, too, I think that, you mentioned the idea of what the scheme was previously. And the scheme yeah. was more of a flatter coverage where Nikola would not quite hedge, but he'd play flatter and then recover back and mm-hmm. or play flatter and a guy would string him out and he'd have to kind of manage on his own out on an island. And he was pretty okay at it, like not yeah. disastrous by any stretch by the end. I think that having that versatility in the bag is really important. Like I think that teams know they could go back to it uh, while they haven't played it as much as what they have previously. And they I've seen it like here and there this year, but for the most part, they are playing more drop coverage. I think having both things in the bag is really important for him and really important in regard to evaluating his defense. Yeah. Like I don't have any sort of thing I can point to to tell you that he's a negative on the defensive end. Yeah, Um, I agree with you. I I actually think he's a plus. Like I, I I genuinely believe he is a plus defender in the NBA. Like if we're, we're getting to where like we're parsing through. Okay. I don't think he's as good as Joel. I don't think he's as good as Giannis. He's way better than Luca. He is a better defensive player than Devin Booker, even though Devin Booker, I think, has gotten to the point where he's pretty solid. Uh, I don't think he's quite as good as Jason Tatum, to be honest. I think there's a case, though, that like impact-wise, because he plays a more important defensive position, I'd listen in terms of what his impact is. I would still take Tatum, but like I would listen. He's a better defensive player than John Morant. I think he's probably a better defensive player at this point than Kevin Durant. Kevin ends up taking some possessions off here and there because he's, you know, 32 years old or whatever. And that's okay. Like we, sometimes we all need to take defensive possessions off when we're coming off of long-term Achilles injuries and everything. But Jokic is now somewhere in the middle of the pack among MVP candidates defensively, I think is the point that I'm trying to make. Well, here's what's, what's great about this argument. Uh, Joker is two points. The, the Nuggets offense is two points better offensively. Um, when he when Joker is on the floor, then the Bucks offense is when Giannis is on the court. It's one seventeen to one fifteen. Yeah. The Bucks defense is two points better at one oh seven than Joker's Nuggets defense is when he's on the court at one oh nine. Like that that the impact there is like almost almost negligible. It's and, and you know what? Like one other thing I do want to mention with Jokic as well defensively, he is very clearly the captain out there. Like you watch the way that they kind of communicate, the watch watch mm-hmm. the way that they are moving around out there, rotating. He's the guy that's kind of captaining it out there. He's the one that's kind of pulling the strings and holding it together. Uh, it's very he's he's a legitimately like plot. He's not a elite defender. I wouldn't even say that like he is in the 80th percentile or higher defender in the NBA, but he's somewhere in that like 65 to 75 range. I think like he's, yeah. he's a legit positive defender now. Yeah. And the gap between him and Giannis is still monstrous. Yes. Which matters except for that. The Bucks defense hasn't been elite like that. That to me is like maybe the counter draw here is just like, well, look and, and, but, and I'm making the other argument here. On the same token, you can also go like, well, look, Joker may have been a better defender this season. They may be actually 60th, 70th percentile. The Nuggets defense still sucks. 
So he's not actually impacting anything on that end anyway, because nobody on Denver can stop anything at the point of attack. And they need somebody who's yeah. better at rim protection than what Nikola Jokic can be. Like they need Rudy Gobert in order for that defense to work. Cause that's how terrible their point of attack defense is. So like all yeah. of this evens out to me, if it's Giannis, if it's Joker, the arguments to me really do negate. And it winds up being like either one I'm okay with, I'm good with either one. I think it does need to be one of those two guys. If it's Joel, I'm going to be like, not not what I think should have happened, but a perfectly reasonable choice. If it's yeah. Joker or if it's Giannis, I'm going to be like completely worthy MVP. Like that, those were the, the the two guys this season that I point to over the entire course of it. Um, it a lot of it with Joker gets into those advanced metrics that are always kind of like. Bandy. I did this the other day where. I looked up all three of their individual stat lines for thresholds of mm-hmm. not using anything complicated, just points, rebounds, assists. And oh, you brought of, this up on Twitter earlier. This is a really good one. And yeah. all three of them are having historic seasons. Like, it, jo- nobody's ever had the points, rebounds, and assists mark that Joker has had. Yep. Not not VORP, not EPM, not BPM, not win shares, bo- points, rebounds, assists. Nobody's done what he's done in yeah. NBA history. Uh, Giannis, I believe it's like, if you do all that, if you do, if you put together his scoring numbers with rebounds and stocks is where it gets mm-hmm. into like, nobody's done what he's done with Joel. I think it's, um, I think it's points, rebounds, I want to say an efficiency, something maybe blocks. All three of them are basically had like nobody's done what these what these guys have done yeah. on the very basic level, and it shows you like how incredible this year is. These guys really, yeah. and this isn't a very difficult season with COVID and injuries on low on a short off season and everything else. Like all three of them have had extremely fucked up seasons in terms of their team uh, injury and whatever Ben Simmons qualifies as. And they've all managed to make it into the postseason. If Embiid, I'll say this too: if Embiid, if the if the Sixers had just won a few more damn games down the stretch, I think that Joker, that Embiid had a real case at this thing. He needed yeah. to get more than a two game separation over Denver. That to me is like a lot of this. Is he had and he had a, a chance at it and couldn't close the deal. And yeah, it sucks that recency bias is a thing, but you only have how many games and the Sixers for Joel to make up the gap between the the efficiency and the other two they needed to get a better record by two, three games more in order to really get that separation. Please. I just beg everyone when you're making your case for your player, just don't like, don't be negative about other guys. These guys are all having historic seasons. They're all having incredible years. Let's just, let's, let's remember that we're in the midst of an incredible season where we have three guys that are doing genuinely historic things as opposed to, to trying to tear down Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or Giannis Antetokounmpo because you want to. Uh, All three of these guys have been unbelievable. And I just really am excited to see the way that the MVP race shakes out. Matt Moore, tell the people where they can find you. Tell the people you've got going on. Download the Action Network app. You can track your bets. Get updated second scores. Just if you're like, I want to know when halftime ends. It's got a halftime counter, so that way you can go get your snack and then come back and do exactly when you're going to have it. Uh, that'll have all my coverage on MVP. You can follow me on Twitter at HP basketball. I've got a podcast called buckets, which you can check out 
wherever you get podcasts. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. I love talking to you. I miss you so much, buddy. I miss you too. I am so happy we got to do this. Uh, please go subscribe to the Action Network and please go download the Action Network app. It saves my life every day when I'm betting. It is the absolute best betting app on the market, I think. I, I love it unconditionally when it comes to tracking your bets. And we'll be back later this week on Wednesday. I will have Matt Penny on Friday. I'll have another show forthcoming. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.